Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. I am Ben McKee, joined once again by the great Will Heflin. And boy, is it a perfect time to talk to Heflin again uh, because Charlotte is trying to throw their own Will Heflin against Tennessee on, on Friday night to open up the NCAA tournament. And we'll get to that here in just a moment. But I must say the vibes are good on this Thursday afternoon. I've submitted my application to the Masters to hopefully pull off a miracle and get my tickets for next year. Tennessee softball has beaten down Alabama to to kick off the World Series, the Women's College World Series. And, Will, I guess we'll see if uh, all of this positive momentum around Tennessee athletics carries into to the baseball stadium down there at Clemson on Friday night. Yep. I want to double up on that shout-out to the softball team. That was a uh, convincing win in OKC. Um, so good start there. Let's see if they can uh, can move on and, and keep keep pressing along in in the women's college world series. Um, and yeah, we found out Andrew Lindsay today is going to go for the Vols, and they're throwing a lefty. Um, I looked at his numbers a little bit. Seems you know nothing really popped out at me huge, but it's hard to ignore um, you know us coming off a, a tough. Hoover outing against against the lefty, you know, he he could be, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put my money that this guy is going to be Troy Wansing. Um, so hopefully we can get to him a little bit. But I I I think that's smart for Charlotte. I mean, we you know some of our best hitters are left handed, and I think Dickey's probably the best left on left, um, because he's such a pure hitter and he can hit the ball the other way, um. But it's it's definitely a tougher matchup for us, so we're gonna have to uh, be on our p's and q's early on. I have gotten my hands on Tennessee statistics against lefties this season. Not not going to reveal too much information, just in case Charlotte tries to to listen in to the podcast and and, and come up with a game plan. But uh, I will say the the best hitter against lefties this year for Tennessee has been Charlie Taylor. Will not Jared Dickey, <laughs> but but Charlie Taylor in a, in a I limited. Meant, I meant lefties, left uh, on left. I know, I know, I know. But I, I, I did think that was funny. But uh, Dickey does have, out of the regulars, uh, looking at the, the batting averages right now, he has the second-best average against lefties. Uh, so that that is certainly very true. And, and I've, I've said that to myself in the press box this year, just kind of watching and, and passing the eye test. What would you say if I told you Tennessee is hitting 267 as a team uh, against lefties this season. Do, do you think – and I ask this because there's this conversation that's now been generated over the last year, and, and it was kind of last year too. There, there were some lefties, crafty lefties last year that that maybe threw Tennessee off balance last season, and then now even more so, Tennessee not having the number one offense of all time 
playing in Lindsey Nelson Stadium, it's become even an even louder conversation, especially after what Texas A&M did in the SEC tournament. Do you think that 267 number is better than, than what you thought, or, or do you think that maybe debunks that conversation a little bit? What, what's your thoughts on, on Tennessee going up against lefties this season and, and going into tomorrow night's game? Maybe. I think that number is probably fine. Um, about what I would have guessed, you know, that 250 to 275 range. Um, but I just think lefties in general are better. I mean, you know, they're harder to face. You don't see them as much. They can be crafty, and there's not as many of them. So if you run into a few good ones, it's going to skew the numbers. Um, but my question my question is, is where does V go in terms of the lineup? Um, I would I would guess that, that Griffin Merritt will either play um, in the outfield or DH, uh, just to make sure we have another right-handed stick in there. You've got Zane Denton, who's a switch hitter, so he'll hit from the right side. Christian Moore hits from the right side. Cal Stark will probably catch from the right side. Um, other than that, like, you know, I think Christian Scott, um, has produced against lefties. I don't have the number in front of me, but I've seen him put some good ABs together, so he'll be fine. Maui's your shortstop. He plays every day. Blake Burke plays every day at first. So I don't know if you, I don't know if there's a whole, I don't know if there's anything new we'll see that he hasn't just done the whole season in terms of the lineup. Um, but I definitely think we'll see Griffin Merritt in that designated hitter spot to get another righty in there, as opposed to um, Dylan Dryling, who I love, and Kavaris Tears, who I also love. Yeah, I, I completely agree. That And that's what Tony's done all season long is bat Griffin uh, against the, the lefty. Uh, and you'll certainly see that uh, for sure. I, 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 my take on the whole lefty conversation, Will, is I think Tennessee fans are, are so glued into to what Tennessee is doing, especially the people who aren't diehard baseball fans like yourself and like me and who watch a ton of baseball. The, the casual baseball observer who has caught on to Tennessee baseball because they have Tennessee across the chest. And that's perfectly fine. Not, not putting those people down whatsoever. We want uh, all those people. We yeah. want people who have never watched baseball before. Well, ab- absolutely. 1000. Bring them all. Yes, absolutely. So I think because there, there's been a lot to, to really pick up and start paying attention to college baseball, I, I think maybe those people don't realize that the whole hitting lefty thing. It's not just a Tennessee issue. I think it's a a sport issue. And the reason I I say so, not necessarily talking about facing the Jack Caglione's who throw absolute gas and pump in gas from the left side. You saw Tennessee tee off on him uh, earlier this season, and he didn't have command as well. He walked a bunch of guys. But my thing is the days of, you know, Dolander pumping in 98, touching 99 here and there like that. That's not overwhelming for a hitter anymore because they see it so much i mean you're you're doing the lord's work right now and and coming to us live from a parking lot in atlanta at an aau tournament uh and and these kids are pumping that type of gas at at that level uh coming up through high school they they are seeing this gas more and more and more so seeing 98 upper 90s isn't as intimidating as it used to be because they see it so much now when you get the ben joyce gas and the paul Skeens gas now that's the intimidating plus velocity that you're seeing now so these kids are so used to facing high velocity guys i mean think about it we talk about drew beam like he doesn't throw hard and the and the kid pumps in 94 95 consistently 
and, and even back when I was playing in high school a decade ago, I mean that that was that was really really good. And now it's gotten to the point now to where it's like, oh, he, he doesn't throw as hard as Doe, but that's still really hard. So when you see these lefties come in, the crafty lefties like your yourself is such a different look. Not only is it coming from the other side of, of the rubber, but it, it's not the velocity that they're used to seeing. And I just think the, the professionals obviously handle it a little bit better. And you don't see as many soft-throwing lefties in, in, in the big leagues as much as you do in college baseball. So when you do see it in college, I just think it throws them off so much. And, and that's why you see teams struggle against lefties. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, 95 is like the new 92. And like 92 is now 88. <laughs> it's like if you're not if you're not 96 plus, ah, just another guy, you know, which is insane. And it's probably, you know, the technology is better for just reading and getting an accurate uh, speed of the pitcher, um, which helps to get that true number. I think some of the older guns were just naturally slower because they picked the ball up later. Um, and then secondly, there's so much good training out there and so much good data out there that kids are, are developing quickly and training to throw hard. Um, and it clearly works. And, you know, there's, there's ups and downs to that as far as throwing strikes and all that. We don't have to get into that, but you know, the fact of the matter is people throw harder than they used to and more people throw harder than they used to, right? Like there's. Nolan Ryan threw really hard and like Aroldis Chapman was ahead of his time. But now it's like there's countless guys throwing triple digits um, or at least approaching that. And now it's like it seems like, you know, even your even your most average college pitchers like myself or just some guy who comes out of the bullpen at Campbell is at least 90, you know, so, yeah, it's a, it's a different game. It, it is for sure. So I, I'm I'm very curious to see how that matchup works out for Charlotte. Um, they're, they're going against the grain. I, I tried to. I asked Tony Vitello earlier this week when he met with the media, his philosophy on, you know, sticking with the rotation that you've used all season long compared to trying to, to toy with things and you know match up with with what the other team does and and doesn't do and honestly i was even more so asking from the standpoint of like if tennessee were to win do you stick with chase dolander in that game too knowing that you have a little leeway or or do you throw a drew beam and save chase dolander for a potential elimination game or even if it's not an elimination game and, and beam gets the job done in that game too then dolander's pitching to send you to, to super regionals. I, I think that conversation this time of year is always fascinating. Uh, but Tony essentially in a roundabout way said that he tries not to overcomplicate things and not get guys out of order. So I'm interested in seeing or out of their routine, I should say. So I'm interested in seeing how that affects Charlotte. They're, they're throwing a lefty. They're going away from their game one starter that they've thrown all year, Wyatt Hoodpole. I, I, I'm sure I butchered his name, and I apologize to Wyatt. But the Kentucky transfer, he's been really solid for them in game one all year long uh, and pitched against Tennessee three times last year. Kind of had some mixed results. Uh, pitched against Tennessee twice in Lexington when, when Kentucky took the series from Tennessee and then pitched against them in the SEC tournament. Uh, struggled with his command against Tennessee, but also had a, a little bit of success as well. But that familiarity... 
they chose to go away from that and they're going to go with with the lefty so i'm very interested to see how that plays out for for charlotte going away from what they've done all year long i think for tennessee just really simplistic will I think it's going to come down to Andrew Lindsay in this baseball game. And I don't mean to put all the pressure on Andrew Lindsay because his defense needs to do what it needs to do behind him and don't make the stupid base running mistakes you made earlier in the year. And the offense is obviously going to have to produce, but I'm not expecting Tennessee to come out swinging, not because I don't think that they're capable of it, but because they are throwing a a lefty like we've talked about, but also it's the first game of the NCAA tournament. There's going to be jitters. There's going to be a nervousness and an anxiousness. And so I think it's important for Lindsay, obviously, to pitch well because it's the NCAA tournament, but even more so in this game because of all the anxiousness and, and pregame jitters. I think it's going to take the offense a couple of innings to settle in. So throwing up zeros on the scoreboard for the first two, three, four innings while the offense gets used to the pitcher that they're facing, and, and while the the jitters kind of get away, I think it's going to be very, very important that Andrew Lindsay starts this game off strong. Yeah, I, I mean, I heard you um, ask V about that uh, yesterday, and then I also mentioned on the radio with Swain that it it was going to be interesting to see what he did with it because he has so many options, and because of how well rested we are, having not um, thrown anybody. Uh, any of our normal starters in Hoover, it was just Halverson, um, who gave us a great outing, which is good. Good to have that in the, in the bank. Um, but yeah, so he's going with, with, uh, Lindsay, which I thought might, he might go with Doe because of the history having gone to Charlotte. But, you know, he's, he's not reinventing the wheel, like he said, and he's trusting his guy, um, to get, to get his former, former teammates, um, a sour taste of the NCAA regionals. So, um, you know, I think I don't know him personally, but I think if V was worried about, you know, him overcomplicating the situation or putting too much into it of the, of the outside stuff rather than just the game itself, then I think he would have went a different direction. So he obviously trusts him and, and that makes me want to trust him as well. So I'm excited to see him throw as usual. Yeah, I am as well. And with Lindsay, I think that's the big thing for for me is how does he handle uh, pitching against his former team and and I and in terms of the emotions I think his stuff will be there but I I don't think that he'll get too rattled or, or anything along those lines because he he does seem to be a cool calm collected type of guy who who does not get flustered and you know he he has a pretty unique story of even getting to this point uh, of transferring from Charlotte taking a year off of baseball for personal reasons. Like he he's not going to be phased either by the moment or um by pitching against his old team. And and Jared Dickey said in his media availability that he was talking to Lindsay about facing his old old team and, and he said that Lindsay said that there's not a there's barely anybody left from when he was there anyways. Uh okay. so it's it's really just going to be like the coaching staff. So and I asked Doe Dolander and Dickey, if if they thought that uh, he, he was one that was going to be able to handle the moment, and, and they both said that they have absolutely no concern whatsoever uh, about him getting flustered and letting that impact his pitching. So I, I think we're going to see the Andrew Lindsay that we've we've really seen all season, even before he got moved to the starting rotation, but especially the guy that we've seen since being moved into the starting rotation. Yeah, 100%. What are your thoughts 
Um, let's say we're winning. Who does he go to first out of the pen? Uh, if we're tied, is it the same guy or is it somebody else? And then if we're down, where does he go? Game one, first out of the pen. That That is a fascinating question. I, I think I'm 90% confident that if it's a, a close game, they're winning seventh inning or later, maybe even the sixth. I, I think there's no doubt he's going to Camden Sewell uh, because of the experience factor. I, I think the only other one that he would go to would be Chase Burns late in the game. But I, I would trust more. I would trust Sewell more in that moment than I would trust Burns. Uh, not that Burns hasn't been good since moving to the bullpen, but he is his last outing was not great uh, at, at South Carolina. And, and Camden, I, I do think, I, I mean, his his experience and his age, I mean, that just speaks for itself. And I think that's what you have to lean on this time of year. Burns will certainly play a key role. But in terms of first guy out of the bullpen in a close game and they're winning, I think it's Camden Sewell. If if Lindsey isn't able to give them length and, and he comes out in maybe the fifth inning or so, I would imagine Seth Halverson to, to bridge the gap uh, to a Sewell or a uh, a Burns. But it, it'll be one of those three guys. I I think the most likely is Sewell. If, if they're losing, if, it, if they're getting blown out, then obviously it's not going to be anybody – of significance it's going to be somebody just to eat innings um, but if it's a close game and they're losing probably Halverson I, I think Halverson w- would be the guy that that they turn to uh, and let him bridge the gap and, and keep Tennessee in the game and that that's not to say that Halverson is is this or that I mean he's he's one of your your high level high leverage relievers that you really rely on and uh, I, I trust him just as much as I trust the other ones, quite frankly. I thought he was really good in Hoover. And just because you're pitching and your team's not losing doesn't mean that you're not fulfilling an important role. Like you're trying to keep the game at, at a certain point, keep it to a one-run, two-run, three-run game to continue to give your offense a, a chance to to catch back up. So I would go Camden Sewell if they're winning, Halverson if they're losing. Okay. I'm going to uh, – you know, I think that's a good prediction. I think. I think if it's close, he goes to Burns um, because that's what he's done, and that's been Burns' role. Um, regardless of what happened at South Carolina, I don't think it matters. And I think Sewell, you know, you don't want to look ahead, but if you're going to use your your horse on Friday, I think Sewell's a great matchup for Clemson. He seems to kind of be those, you know, those really offensive teams always struggle to hit Sewell because he's just a different look. I mean, he's lanky he's wiry his ball moves eight feet across the plate i never seen a baseball move the way his does trying to catch it is horrible i can't imagine trying to hit it um so i think he may do that but he may do exactly what you said i don't think that's a that's a bad take at all the the good news is that they have so many options and and that's why you hear (laughs) yeah we may see we may see a kirby lefty matchup as well don't don't count that out we may see kirby in there (laughs) As we normally do, yes. And I, I just don't want that to be left without said or yes. without being said. That that will one thousand percent happen in in terms of Kirby coming in to, to face a lefty and and throwing one pitch and and then gets the out and then he's out of there. For all my uh, for all my gamblers out there, the over under on appearances for Kirby this weekend is two and a half, and I think any smart gambler would probably take the over in that. One thousand percent. He he's going to pitch in each game. 
because he's only going to throw a pitch a game. So it's not like they're going to wear out uh, his arm. Speaking of Clemson's offense, and and, and we're looking ahead a little bit, um, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that their offense hasn't produced more in that park, at least from a power standpoint. You know, Tennessee, Lipscomb, Charlotte, they're, they're all arriving in town with a lot of home runs under their belt. They, they are some big-time power-hitting teams. But Clemson, they're not necessarily the power teams that, that are in their regional. And I find it really interesting, uh, even talking to somebody today that's already down there in Clemson and, and Tennessee went through practice today, the NCAA tournament practice, and was saying that like th- this park is really small. Like that, That's been kind of the topic all week of, of Clemson's park being very hitter-friendly. And, and somebody got down there today and was like, it is – the friendliest of friendliest ballparks. So I'm kind of surprised in hearing hearing that that Clemson hasn't produced more power. But from Tennessee's standpoint, you think that bodes well for the offense. But I also think about Tennessee's pitching staff and their high high leverage stuff that we like to say uh, as people who like baseball. Their, their stuff of Andrew Lindsay and Dolander, the power stuff. How is that going to translate to that field? Because even last year we saw at times in the postseason Notre Dame when somebody just catches up to the stuff and next thing you know, it's a home run and that Notre Dame game, it changes the entire season. Yeah. Um, I think just in general, when it heats up and Tennessee's park is no different that the ball just, you know, starts jumping a little bit and guys have had a lot of at bats and you got more adrenaline in the box because it's postseason. So maybe the ball goes a little bit farther than if you were just, you know, hitting on a cold fall scrimmage or something like that. But, um, yeah, I think, I think having that kind of stuff though helps us in strikeout situations. Um, and then also, you know, ground balls your best friend in a park like that. So Frank Anderson's really good at, at pitching to get a certain outcome. Um, so I think, I don't think much will change there as far as, as their approach to attack hitters. Um, so if I was still playing or if I was a coach, I would say I'm not talking about Clemson. I'm focused on Charlotte, but I'm not. I'm a fan. So I get to look ahead and hope that we beat Charlotte and assume that uh, Clemson handles Lipscomb, which they may or may not. That's why you play the game. Um, so let's let's for a conversation sake, say Tennessee plays Clemson on Saturday. Winner gets to the regional final. Um, I've watched Clemson several times i like them a lot as a group one i'm pretty sure they're three hole hitter their everyday three hole hitter is a big lefty and he's got you know over 20 homers um correct me if i'm wrong but the rest of their team is very athletic and grind out at bats like terrible terrible for pitchers right just like your worst nightmare and a lot of them have really good averages and really good RBIs, but you're right. They haven't really, you know, ran the ball out of the ballpark. I think, you know, I saw them hit a lot of doubles against Miami in the, uh, in the ACC championship. So I just think that may be part of their approach is to, to hit line drives and, and, you know, maybe, maybe they're not up there trying to hit the long ball, which I don't think anyone really ever is. If you want to really talk hitting, um, but a lot of their guys may just have like a flatter swing path and just, you know, be in that five to 12 home run range reminds me of Jake Rucker. Like one of their really good hitters reminds me of Jake Rucker a lot. Like he can run the ball out of the yard if he needs to, but that's not really his swing. It was just like 
double in the gap, double in the gap, line drive up the middle. So they have a lot of guys like that. And I think, um, I think that's a good, a good way to be, especially, you know, for playing in parks like Omaha. But, you know, if they play in a small park, then I think we have the advantage because we're certainly used to playing in a hitter friendly park ourselves. Yeah. Clemson kind of reminds me of Kentucky. It's a, a good fundamental. They're better than. Baseball. I do think they're better than Kentucky, yes. But in terms of, of style of play, just a, a team that's not super flashy, but they just do all the little things well. They play defense really, really well. They steal a lot of bases, which is obviously going to be a key for Tennessee, uh, as we have talked about even on, on the first podcast we had you on and, and Tennessee's inability to slow down the running game. That That's going to be something, once again, that Tennessee is going to have to to find a way. If, if you're not going to be – quick to the plate and the new pitch clock rules really hamper you because you can't vary your, you know, come and set how long you come set. You you can't vary your looks or looks over to the bag or how long you stay set. Tennessee is going to have to figure out something to to slow down uh, Clemson on the bases. Uh, They they did a pretty good job of it against uh, Kentucky in that game one throughout a couple of runners. Cal Stark did, but I do agree. Clemson is better than Kentucky, but in terms of style of play, they're not flashy. They don't have, arms that are going to overpower Tennessee. They don't have bats that are going to overpower anybody. They're just really good. They're just really good. They're really solid. They do all the little things well. And that that kind of leads me to the point of, I mean, as long as Tennessee comes in and doesn't beat itself, like it's it's going to be okay. Because Tennessee has more talent than Charlotte and Lipscomb. That should, again, as long as you don't beat yourself, your talent just naturally is going to win you those baseball games. When it comes to Clemson, again, as long as you be yourself and and don't beat yourself, like you will be fine because you have better baseball players than they do. Not that they're bad baseball players, but that just speaks to the level of of talent that Tennessee has. So that that's one of my keys, and we have several keys to, to get into, and we'll do so here in, in just a moment on the other side, but before we do get into those keys and, and key players to keep an eye out for this weekend, we do need to take a break, so we're going to do that right now, and we will be back here in just a moment on the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, and guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back into the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. I am Ben McKee, just an old internet blogger. On the other end of this internet connection is Will Heflin, the postseason maestro. 
I like that nickname. I just came up with that on the spot, too. I'm proud of myself for that one. I'm usually not that creative. Um, but we've got Will Heflin joining us to preview the Clemson Regional this weekend. Big weekend for Tennessee baseball. And before we continue our discuss- discussion, I would like to encourage you to go like, rate, and review the podcast wherever you get your podcast. We would greatly appreciate that. Will, I want to share a couple of text messages with you and the listeners. Uh, I reached out to some folks uh, around Tennessee's baseball program to get their thoughts on the draw that they received. And uh, I will share those. Obviously not going to name names in terms of who said what, but just to get a feel for for what Tennessee was thinking about their release. Uh, here's one text. I don't get into that too much in terms of the draw, but I think you've got to like the three-hour bus ride over some of the other alternatives. There are a lot of coaches in this regional that we know, so that adds a, a little different vibe, but also some familiarity. Uh, this time of year, less is more and not beating yourself. So that's that's one text. And, and another text that I will share with you is uh, will be a good test for our guys, but we just need to play our game and see how it plays out. Lipscomb has really good arm going game one, and Charlotte has a ton of SEC kickbacks. Uh, if we get the Dolander and Lindsay we got last time in South Carolina, we should be good. W- what's running through your head when you hear those comments? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a huge problem with any of them. I think, you know, one of the things that COVID and our new transfer portal setup has done is given schools like Charlotte and Lipscomb and ETSU and Tennessee Tech and just those are the ones that are around us and I can think of Um, it's given them an opportunity to get guys that are sec caliber that for whatever reason they may not have, you know, fit in at their former school or they just wanted to get on the field earlier. Um, And now instead of having to go to division two or the junior college ranks, um, which isn't even an option for somebody who's passed their sophomore year, it's just giving guys an opportunity to go play. And I think that's one of the super positive things about it. Um, but it's allowed schools like that to really bolster their roster. And, and you know, that person is absolutely right that Charlotte and uh, Lipscomb are, are both stacked pretty full with, with guys that are plenty capable um, to make some noise in any regional, um, the Clemson regional included. Um, so I think I think my take on our draw is that I was happy with it because it's a great environment. Um, and I will say Clemson's won 17 straight. That is a lot of baseball games. Um, it's really hard to get to 20. And that's the only thing I'm going to say. It's really <laughs> hard to get to 20. It is really hard to, to get to 20. And I like the, the other comment about the, the travel. I, I do think that's an added benefit. You don't have to. They left Wednesday afternoon, uh, which is maybe a little bit later than than you would have left uh, if you're going to Coastal Carolina or, or Indiana State. I don't know if they would have flown to Indiana State or Coastal Carolina. I, I would think that they would have uh, because I, I know like last year when they went to Ole Miss and, and maybe you can. Obviously, you can chime in here with the the road travels that you had when you were a player. But last year at Ole Miss, they they bust to Ole Miss, but they flew back that Sunday night after the series. So not not sure if they would have flown or or drove 
to to Indiana State or, or Coastal Carolina. But if they had bust, I mean, a, a three hour, I mean, a quick three hour bus ride. I mean, it, it is three hours and two minutes away and a quick now going through the mountains through Asheville isn't all that fun. But still, at, at the end of the day, a three hour bus ride totally beats uh, a six hour, six and a half hour drive through through the middle of nowhere, Kentucky and Indiana to Indiana State or, or even through South Carolina to coastal Carolina. Uh, you all went to Chapel Hill. I mean, did y'all bus to Chapel Hill? I imagine you would have preferred a, a three hour bus ride to Clemson instead. Yeah, we, we drove to Chapel Hill. I think it was closer to four um, and it still didn't feel, you know, too terribly bad. Um, I think the cutoff is usually like if it gets over six, seven hours, you're probably going to fly. Um, and then a lot of those Sundays, you got to fly back just because, you know, you're not finishing your game until three, four o'clock. Um, so I think, I think that is, you know, definitely, definitely part, part of it. Um, geographical, I think, you know, the committee did a good job of, of creating kind of a, a regional, (laughs) they made a regional out of Clemson's regional, you know, two Tennessee teams, um, and then a, a North Carolina and a South Carolina. So, it's um I think it's a good group of four and a lot of good baseball will be played. Who are the guys that, that you're looking at that that you need that you think need to have a good weekend in order for for Tennessee to make it out alive? I'll give you one of each. Um and I said it last week from the pitching side it's Drew Beam. It's always been Drew Beam. He was quarterback in high school. He's kind of got that that personality that's infectious um, just from watching on TV. I was around him a little bit. I don't know him all that well. Um, so maybe he's not, but I think, you know, he is a leader and needs to kind of take the reins. And we d- we discussed a little bit if, if Vitello, you know, holds true, like we think he's going to, to the rotation that's been going then Drew Beam is certainly going to have the season on the line and have the opportunity to uh, send us to supers if we um, if he throws and we are two wins and zero losses. If not, then he'll be throwing to get us into a Monday winner-take-all game. Um, so that's my guy on the mound. I've always loved him. I'm I'm going to love him, you know, next year and then in his professional career as well. So I need I need Drew Beam to be himself. And from the hitting side, it's Blake Burke. It's Blake Burke. He's our thumper. His average has dropped below 300. Um, and he is a 300 plus, probably closer to 400 hitter. I mean, he just is. He's that talented. He's got great hand eye. He's got power. He can miss hit a baseball and drive himself in. Um, so I think, I think he, um, he's kind of pulling a Jordan Beck a little bit. Jordan Beck kind of, was a little struggles late in the year, late in SEC play. He was uh, scuffing a little bit, and then it was like boom regionals, and he just came alive and absolutely raked. So I need I need Blake Burke to uh, pull a Jordan Beck in that regard, and uh, I think if those two have a good weekend, then we're going to be satisfied with the result. We were talking about lineup changes earlier. W- what are you doing with with Blake Burke? I liked that they bumped him down to the seven hole in Hoover. No, no, he's my three hole. Maybe four if if you want to go uh Simo in the three. I think he's gotta be he's gotta be at the top. You got you gotta go with your best bolt and he's you know, he's a top top half of the order in any lineup in the country. Um and I just think I just think he's gotta 
he's got to be there and you live with the result. But, yeah. you know, if you liked him in the seven hole, then tell me why. I, I just think he is mentally out of it at, at the moment. I, 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 I will be very curious to see if this week and a half off of games really benefits him uh, because it, it just seems like his his mind is tied up into pretzels uh, at, at this point because it, it has been a struggle during conference play. There, there's no questioning the talent in the bat and in and, and the guy, uh, but it, it's just been a, a real, real struggle. And, and at some point, I just don't think that you can continue to and, – and, you know, the lineup is a little – it, it, luck can be involved. Like, yeah, okay, they're coming up in one, two, three, four order to start the game. That's guaranteed. But after that, it, it's kind of just luck and up the chance in terms of who comes up when and, and who comes with up with how many guys on base. So, I mean, even moving him down to the seven hole, he can equally, you know, walk to the plate with the bases loaded or, or a pair of runners on or, or something along those lines. But I, I just think to where maybe he's not, the entire center of focus, which may be hard to do because everybody knows who Blake Burke is at this point. But I, I just uh, Dicky and and Simo are, are the guys that I trust the most right now, and and probably Christian Scott and and Hunter Inslee as well. And C Scott's not going to move, but I, I would have those guys at, at the top of my lineup. I just think it's been such a struggle, and I think he's going through it mentally because of those struggles. I just don't know that it, it would be great to put him back at the top of the lineup. But like I said, I am curious to see if this week, week and a half off of not playing games helps him reset mentally. Yeah, reset's the word. It, I think he it can definitely be used as a reset. And, you know, it's a fresh start in the postseason. It's, it's a totally new season. So I think, you know, I think V moved him down to try to give him a change of, change of scenery um, and maybe take a little bit of pressure off. Um, but the best, the best teams that I was on, it was like, I could write the lineup card every day being a player, you know, it's like, you know, who's going to be where there's a comfortability with it. And when we were playing our best, you know, kind of that, that back half of SEC play, there was kind of a nine that stuck or, or an eight, depending on the, the, the arm that we were facing, there's kind of, there was a seven or eight that were pretty much guaranteed in a certain spot. And I think that's just what you have to do at this point in the season. Um, but I totally get it. I mean, if, um, if Vitello feels more comfortable, I, you know, let's say he is in the seven hole, you go Maui, Inslee, Dickey, Simo, um, Merit. and then Merritt or, um, shoot Denton. And then you go Burke. Um, then that's fine. That's fine. I mean, we're we're much deeper as a lineup than we get credit for. Um, so I think you can mix and match. But like I said, I like that comfortability of being in the same spot and kind of knowing, coming to the park, knowing what where you're going to be. It's it's such a routine game. I think yep. you almost you almost deserve that as a player. Um, so moving down can definitely be helpful. He did do that to Beck one time, and it that may have been what helped him reset. So. It's reset week for Blake Burke, and um, you know I I hope he explodes back onto the scene. Yeah, I do too, and Tennessee needs him too as well. He's too talented of a bat to to not be producing uh, for his own sake, and also for, for Tennessee. Tennessee needs him. I mean, when when you drew up the plans for for this season, Blake Burke was one of the first people that you talked about. I think for me, the guy that I think needs to have a big weekend is Christian Moore uh, because it, I just think there's a stark difference in the team's offensive production uh, 
when he's clicking versus when he has that game every now and then where he's 0 for 4 with three strikeouts looking because he won't uh, adjust his approach at the plate. He, he's dead set on a pitch being a ball that, okay, maybe it is a ball, but there's also two strikes. It's close. You can't just continue to sit there and, and look at it, especially when the umpire in the previous two at-bats called it a strike. Like, you, you got to change the approach and and swing the at-bat at some point. And, and you know, Simo is very, very competitive, and sometimes it gets the best of him to where he's very stubborn out there and, and maybe doesn't always handle the failures that come along with baseball all that well. And, and that leads to some of those weekend spiraling out of control in my opinion so if, if he can avoid that bad weekend that he tends to have from from time to time and it's more of the guy that is locked in making the pitcher throw a ton of pitches and, and work on the mound uh, drawing walks to get on base uh, or getting base knocks obviously he has a lot of power in the the bat I I trust him a lot in clutch situations I, I think he's just really in really, really crucial to, to Tennessee's offensive success. It, it seems like every time he comes up to the plate, there's there's guys on base. Maui gets on base more than people realize. Hunter Inslee gets on base a ton. Uh, Jared Dickey is obviously this team's most complete hitter. He's going to be on base. And because of those three guys setting the table, Simo always comes up with an opportunity to do damage. And there's a distinct difference in the offense when he's clicking and when he's not. And I don't think that that's a, a coincidence. So I'm looking at Christian Moore uh, in, in the lineup. And, and then I don't have a guy on the mound. It, it's easy to point to the starters. I, I think there's a couple of different routes you, you could go here. Drew Beam, I think, is absolutely one that you can go with. I think Chase Dolander. The, those two guys have been inconsistent all season long, and and they just Tennessee cannot uh, afford them to to not be on their A game here in the postseason because Tennessee is going to go as far as its pitching goes. Uh, Chris Burns or Chris Burns, Chase Burns, uh, also an inconsistent season coming off of of rough outing. They need him to get back to the guy that was coming out of the bullpen against Mississippi State, against Vanderbilt, against Arkansas. But I am looking at that back end of the bullpen. Uh, because so many of these tournament games come down to to who makes a play in crunch time, both basketball and baseball. And Camden Sewell, Seth Halverson, and and even Chase Burns, like they are going to be thrown into the fire. And I hate to put it all on their shoulder, but they're going to come in in the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth inning, game on the line, runners on base, and Tennessee is going to to sink or swim based off of how those guys do on the mound just because of the situation that they're coming into. So I don't really have a guy on the mound. There's a lot of guys that I think that you can point to. You mentioned Kirby. Kirby struggled his last couple of outings. He's given up some some runs the last couple of times he's been out there. They need him to get back on track. So I, I think one of those guys out of the bullpen, they they have to be lights out this time of year. It's really as simple as that. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think I think Vitello trusts um, those guys you mentioned. And so if if I w- were to go to him and say, hey, it's going to be Saturday against Clemson in the eighth and you're up one and you're bringing in Sewell, I think he'd say, sign me up. One thousand percent. Sign me up. I, I'll take that deal right now. And I trust I trust Camden Sewell a lot um, and not just because he's my homie. But, um, you know, I think I think he is. He is just straight nasty as a pitcher. There's really not much, no other way to put it. And he's a fierce competitor. Um, let me go back to Christian Moore real quick because I wanted to add one point to that. He 
is so capable of putting together just a professional at bat. I mean, him and Dickey, it seems when you need somebody to just really wear a pitcher down, um, give me, give me a Christian Moore at bat early in the regional where he goes one, two, fouls off a couple, takes a tight one, gets to three, two, fouls off another few, and then hits an opposite field double in the right center gap, or maybe it goes out. Um, Oh, you're talking and dirty to me, Will. That's that's when the Vols are clicking hot. And last year and the years previous, Luke Lipsius was kind of that guy. It was like, oh, if Luke gets to 3-2 and fouls a couple off, it was like a home run was almost guaranteed. Like it was just you were waiting for the for that pitch to come. Um, and Christian Moore is kind of that guy when he's going right. But, um, you know, I think I think what you said is is fair. Um, we just we just need him to, you know, take the good and roll with it and take the bad and roll with it as however it comes um, early on and, and stay, stay in that, in that mindset of, you know, I'm going to get the job done because he's certainly capable. And, um, you know, I, I think he's a professional hitter. I think he's going to have a long career. Two other names that we need to mention on the mound. And one, we, we should not have waited this long to, to mention. And that's AJ Russell. I, I think he's going to be thrown into a moment here in the postseason, especially if Tennessee can make a deep run in the postseason, that that kid's going to be thrown into a moment. And we haven't really seen him in in a super clutch situation. He came in uh, against A&M at, in, in Hoover down 3 nothing, But, it, I mean, that, that didn't feel like the season was on the line. But that's been the closest he's been to in a clutch situation. The coaching staff seems to have a ton of trust in him. His stuff is electric. He's probably going to be a starting pitcher for Tennessee next year, if I had to guess. He He's somebody that I think will play a role this weekend. And and here's the other one. I, I He may be in that tier two group of guys because I honestly will. I, I think uh, Russell, A.J. Russell, has entered that tier one of trust with Camden Sewell, Seth Halverson, Chase Burns. He may not be coming in over those guys, but I at least think he's in the same room as them. And and maybe that fourth option on, on the totem pole. And then in that next tier, I think Hollis Fanning is also a guy that may be thrown into a, a situation uh, this weekend. And, and, and we'll see if he sinks uh, or, or swims. Um, but he's a guy that th- those are two names that I think we really have to mention and, and two names that if especially if Tennessee's coming out of the losers bracket out of the we'll losers def- bracket, we'll definitely see them this weekend. Yeah, Russell's electric and I agree with you there. He's he's knocking on the door and he's, you know, he's kind of one of those guys you look to and you're like, hey, we need we need an extra weapon. We need an extra option. And he's gotten better as the year's gone on. Um, so I definitely think we'll see him and, um, got plenty of trust from me as well. Not that it matters, but he, um, he's electric and I think he's got a good demeanor on the mound and same goes for Aaron Combs. He's kind of, um, he's kind of different, you know, he's, he's not lighting up the radar gun, but he, you know, his ball moves all over the place and he competes really well too. So I think kind of need to see him get back on the horse, um, as well and, like you said, you can never have too many weapons out of the pen when you when you get into those deeper runs in a regional um, or in the likes of Omaha. Last thing before we get out of here, just your general thoughts on, on what Tennessee needs to do as a team 
this weekend aside from score more runs than the than the other team to to get out. I mean, I I, I really do think it's as simple as not beat yourself. And I know that sounds super simple, and, and I wish we could give a super in-depth breakdown of, of what pitcher needs to throw what pitch in this situation and that situation and and what guy needs to, to hit where and do this and do that. But we know what this Tennessee team is capable of when it just doesn't beat itself. And it largely avoided beating itself the second half of SEC play, which is why they finished the regular season the way that it finished the regular season. So I think if they play that strong, steady defense that they did play the second half uh, of conference play, and they don't make those base running mistakes that they eliminated, and the, the pitchers throw strikes and, and and don't leave it over the heart of the plate, and the offense doesn't go cold, like I, I think just just don't beat yourself, and, and you'll be either playing in Auburn, Alabama next weekend, or Knoxville, Tennessee next weekend. Yep, sounds good to me. I mean, <laughs> you kind of touched on everything. I think um... – what you know, my my key to success, if you will, um, aside from the obvious, is just putting together really quality at bats. Whether that's moving a runner over, um, this is the type of this is the time of year when you need to bunt. You got to get it down, and you got to move runners over. Um, and then just grinding out at bats, kind of what I'm what I'm asking for out of out of Christian Moore. You know, you don't have to hit a home run at the end of that long AB. Um, but we just need to to lean on guys constantly. And I think we will, you know, with the with the the heightened um sense that the postseason provides, I think I think guys will really be locked in. And if if we can put pressure on other teams, then um, you know, we came into the season ranked as the second best team in the nation. And I don't think we're outside of the top ten, regardless of what the rankings say. If you put in if you made a ranking of last five weeks only, then we're probably, you know, somewhere closer inside the top 15. So talent certainly there to uh, to do all that we uh, desire. Will, it's going to be a fun weekend. Tennessee gets going on Friday night at 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPNU. Tennessee taking on Charlotte. That'll be a fun game to keep up with. I'm kind of surprised that Tennessee is the night game in the Clemson Regional. And not only are they the night game, but... Uh, they're on television, and Clemson and Lipscomb, the, you got to have ESPN Plus to watch them. So I was kind of surprised by that. I, I know the home team kind of has a say in, in preference of to play the early game or the late game, so maybe that's why. But I also don't think it's it's a coincidence that Tennessee will be on one of the ESPN channels because of what Tennessee baseball has become the last couple of years. So if they win that game, it'll set up for a fun Saturday for Tennessee fans. You've got Tennessee probably taking on Oklahoma, Tennessee softball in the Women's College World Series at 3 p.m. Eastern on Saturday. And if Tennessee beat Charlotte, then they'll be playing at 6 o'clock. So got a nice little doubleheader. If they lose to Charlotte, then they'll be playing two games uh, on Saturday with their season on the line. So uh, I will be in Clemson, excited to get down there. We'll have complete coverage of everything going on with Tennessee baseball at GoVols247.com. And win or lose, Will, we'll get you back on the podcast to to either preview a, a Super Regional or discuss what went wrong for the Vols this weekend. Yep. Enjoy that trip, man. Thanks for having me on. Um, enjoy it, as always, talking ball. He's Will Heflin. I'm Ben McKee. This has been another edition of the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. There's that button. And now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the GoVols247 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you. 
thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals 24-7 where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think falls fans will find interesting. Uh, But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, you also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.